back to another episode of Life in the Urban City podcast. I'm your host, Paul Hudak. And today I'm joined with uh, another Justice for Youth staff, uh, Nora Jacob. She's the supervisor of restorative justice and care. Nora, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Paul. Glad to be here. Yeah. And do you mind just a quick sharing of exactly who you are, how you got involved with Justice for Youth and, and everything? I've been with Justice for Youth for a year and a half as restorative justice and care supervisor. I've been doing restorative justice work out in the community and in a local prison for about the last eight years. Okay. And what what led you to do prison work as well as restorative justice work? Actually, for me, prison and restorative justice work were simultaneous, and then Mm -hmm. Justice for Youth came afterwards. Um, I was pretty disillusioned, very disillusioned, with the state of justice in America. Mm -hmm. I was um, looking at how much racism there is, how unjust the, um, the proportion of people who actually fall into punishment, and then the carceral system the school-to-prison pipeline, all of that, and read Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow and just thought, you know what, I'm going to spend the rest of my life just devoting it to doing something about changing this in my own one little way. Okay, and you said that was about eight years, so was mm-hmm. it 2016, 2014? 2014. 2014. Yeah. Wow, yeah. awesome, been doing that pretty much since I graduated college. Dude. It's <laughs> crazy to think about that you've been doing that it, that long. I graduated 2013, so just a year after I graduated, but wow. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? It's my fourth career, so um, the fourth is the best. You know, each career you go through, um, maybe you don't know this yet, um, brings, for me, it's brought me closer and closer to what I'm really meant to do, feel Mm -hmm. like I'm really meant to do. And this is a big one. This is one that will take a whole community to change the way we think, the way we act, the way we treat each other. Yeah, Yeah. and and the big reason why we're doing this is Nora and I would do a lot of interviews um, for Justice for Youth and... Mm -hmm. One question we would always ask is, what is restorative justice in their opinion? And after probably like the 10th person not answering it, <laughs> it was like way off mark of what restorative justice was. I was like, Nora, I need you to on the podcast to talk about restorative justice because people don't know. So with that being said, what is restorative justice? So the big picture is that restorative justice is an alternative way of looking at dealing with harm that happens between people Mm. it's not punitive it's not one-on-one it's sometimes it is but generally speaking there's someone who acts as a mediator facilitator to help draw people out and um, connect with their feelings of empathy of responsibility and accountability in ways that um, don't generate shame Mm. don't generate um, the hiding from the harm that all of us do from time to time. Some of us more violently than others, but I think all of us do. Yeah, and you, you kind of mentioned a word in there, punitive. I'm not sure if everyone knows. Could you describe or re-describe what punitive is? Yeah, p- punitive is using punishment, mm-hmm. and um, sometimes it's physical punishment, sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's... Um, spiritual, mm. but using punishment as a way to dominate, control, or to um, respond to something. And uh, often that something is someone else. Mm-hmm. And the trouble is that if that's our only alternative, um, and if prison is the ultimate destination for uh, all the consequences of that, 
you're going to have what we had in California, what, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. which is a prison system of more than 30 prisons that um, were filled and overfilled, and the Supreme Court actually ordered California to start addressing how to lower the prison population. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to, I want to say 2016 or 2018, State of California uh, Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation actually changed its mission statement to focus on um, educational opportunities, one of which is restorative justice. Wow. Yeah. Do you know if uh, California was had the largest population of incarceration, or was it just because California is one of the largest populated states? <laughs> yeah. So overall, in the United States... About one person in a hundred has been under some kind of carceral control at any time. Mm. So that means prison, jail. It also means probation, parole. So the whole system, juvenile wow. as well. So one out of a hundred. Yeah, that's much higher ratio than uh, much tighter ratio than in most countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, no, that, that's really good. And so when, when it's we're actually ta- really bad. Well, you're right. Sorry. You're right. It was really bad, but really <laughs> yeah. of your explaining it, right? Thank of you. understanding yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, thank you for breaking it down for us. <laughs> yep. I think one out of every hundred. So 1% of the United States population was under some form of carceral care mm-hmm. at some point in time in their life, yep. which is crazy to think about that. It's a whole percent, not fractions of a percent right. where yeah. you would anticipate or expect it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, when we're talking about restorative justice, you said it's an alternative when it comes to punitive punishment, which is more mm-hmm. dominant, dominant, like a control and power over someone and, yes. and forcing them to do things or uh, more of a punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're restorative. It's more bringing people together and looking at everything, the whole picture. And I, I guess a question that kind of came to my mind is with your experience, you know, since 2014, do you feel like almost every um, offense or occurrence that happens, restorative justice could take place? Or do you feel like there's some things that restorative justice, you know what, um, isn't quite ready for? Or do you think every every mm. every decision or restorative justice um, could I'd, take place? I'd love to see every single action be mm-hmm. restorative. And it's interesting, you, you use the word... Um, you used a word that that indicated that uh, it was offense. Mm-hmm. Um, I call it harm. Harm. That's okay. the language we use in restorative justice. So after harm happens, mm-hmm. you always want some way to repair the harm, right? Yeah. And so it can be as simple as sitting down and talking together in a small listening circle. Mm-hmm. Um, can be just the two of you, three of you. Um, or it can be something as formal as a restorative circle where all the participants and the stakeholders mm-hmm. are interviewed individually and then they come together so that everybody's prepared for everybody else and we just go around and ask a series of questions. The idea is that people have both the impulse to punish and the impulse for empathy in them. And the great thing about restorative justice is it's based on community and building community and the principle that no one of us is an individual alone in society. Mm-hmm. So when you get restorative justice, we're rebuilding community. All the harm that's done, the, think about the ripple effect when 
you have a drive-by shooting. Mm -hmm. So you have a person who was shot, right? Um, The car takes off and it uh, zooms away. But all the people around who saw it are affected. Mm -hmm. All the neighbors who heard the shots are affected. The parents, family, loved ones of the person shot, affected. All those who were in school with may not have been there at the time, but it's happened near their school, affected. So imagine that ripple effect going out and out and out. How do you bring healing into that? Well, realistically, we can actually bring people together in large numbers and have listening circles and just hear their feelings Mm -hmm. and then guide them toward letting go of processing and letting go of some of the most traumatic of those feelings if we can do it quickly yeah. um, and encouraging people then to continue to come for help or talk together until it's out. Yeah. yeah. And, and from your experience, um, do you, do you see a lot of um, individuals after harm occurs, like the individual that caused harm when they hear the pain and the suffering that they've caused, would you say majority of them have a change of heart and, you know, want to seek forgiveness and try to heal the situation? Or, mm. yeah, mind speaking to that. So because I, because I serve in prison once mm-hmm. a week, um, I, that's what I see and that's what I experience is people who are tired of tired of not being able to go on with their lives Mm. and wanting it's more than wanting their freedom to come back home it's that they want to care and appreciate themselves and have some respect for themselves because after a while i mean people can go through life hurting other people Mm -hmm. and not being accountable for it or empathetic about it but generally, something will come along, and you can tap into that something and have people connect with the feelings of shared humanity. And so that's, um, that's the work that I do in prison, um, basically with the people who have committed murder, attempted murder, rape, um, aggravated assault, as well as things like uh, DUI, injury, and manslaughter, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and then I guess kind of following up on that, it for those individuals that might not be ready um, for the healing process, what have you noticed are some maybe common factors, right? You know, if I was Mm. the one that caused harm, um, what what might be some of the factors where I might not be ready for that healing process to go? Because you said sometimes it takes years for people for this to to begin. Ultimately, hurt people hurt people. Mm. And so someone who's really been hurt Um, through the conditions in which they grew up, poverty, um, not enough to eat, no jobs, Mm -hmm. um, gang tensions around, um, emotional abuse in the home, all that kind of stuff. The challenge is that people want, they don't know any way to be except to hold on to their anger. Um, It's interesting, in prison, there's an exercise we do about the where people grew up, what kind of conditions they grew up in. And each time as they describe these conditions, they'll say, oh, I thought that was normal, as we talk about the harm that was done. Never stop to think that this may not have been the way that everybody's raised. It may not have been the the healthiest way to grow up. Um, People are doing the best they can, and they don't 
always get it. And so they think that this anger and fear and um, what offensive defensiveness, if you will, mm-hmm. um, that they just grow up with that. Mm-hmm. And that's natural. Okay, so uh, would it be a something, would it be a clarifying statement is, so for me, if I did the harm, a, a step for me to start the healing process in the restorative nature is I need to start being healed myself, right, from my traumatic steps. And is that correct what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Understanding yourself Mm -hmm. and respecting yourself. Those are the biggies. And and I guess, because we're we're talking to the community here, right, that Mm -hmm. that will listen to this. So youth, parents, youth workers who are listening to this, what, you know, for the youth or the parents out there who have harm done to them and they might have done harm to someone else, Mm -hmm. How can they start looking at themselves for that healing of the, their past trauma so then they can start healing their current or present trauma? I think the first thing is to recognize that healing is often healthier in community, mm-hmm. especially when we get started. And so to look for a self-help group, I'll tell you the um, the 12-step groups are fabulous, okay. um, any version of the 12-step groups, because they ask you to, to look at what's hurt you and also how you've hurt others that's that's the process and in the along the way to um learn about yourself you know how you would how you would identify yourself how you would claim or not claim um Mm -hmm. the things you've been denying the things you've been avoiding the things that um trouble you Mm -hmm. and try to grow so that you're separate from them um yeah so they are in you, but they are not you. Yeah, and I guess what would some of those questions be, right? If I'm a youth worker trying to work with kids, mm. start you know asking some of these philosophical or more enlightening questions so that they could start reflecting on themselves. What some of those questions would be? Yeah, I I like putting them in in trios um, okay. because start out with uh, something positive. So what's something you really appreciate about yourself, mm-hmm. and then sort of looking at the more difficult side of that, what's something related to that that troubles you about yourself. Mm-hmm. And then third one is, what one thing might you do to, to change that? Okay. And so um, it's about very much about open-ended questions. Mm-hmm. So it's not asking yourself a yes or no. Do I like myself? Yes. <laughs> that's not, that's not yeah. helpful. Um, but what do I like most about myself? Mm-hmm. What do I like least about myself? Okay. Are they connected? That's so just keeping the questions outside the realm of yes and no. Okay. Keep them open-ended, making them think, yep. and having mm-hmm. a dialogue where they could keep going back and forth yes. with these questions. I really recommend journaling. Mm-hmm. Journaling is a fabulous way to do this. Just okay. ask yourself a question every day. Yeah. Man, there are a million questions out there on uh, out in the cyber universe. Yeah, you can yeah. just search forever and find different stuff on Google. Yeah. And, and I guess a que- same question, but for parents, like how would, you know, as, as a parent right now, you've might have had past trauma and harm mm-hmm. done to you. And as you're raising your kids, you're recognizing some patterns like, man, like I'm doing the same thing my mom did or I'm doing the same thing my dad did. And I didn't like that. How would they start processing that so they, they don't create that um, systemic or generational trauma that keeps getting passed on from generation to generation? Just a reminder that healing happens in community. Mm-hmm. And so, again, 
Look for a parenting group. Look for, there are all kinds of, there are mom's groups, there are dad's groups, there are mixed parenting groups. Just Us for Youth has a parenting program tree. Um, So as you look around for that, don't just rely on internet and Facebook groups and all that stuff because we need to be, uh, to be full and complete, we need to be connected to other people. Yeah, we and need, so, mm-hmm. yeah, we need each other. Yeah, with that community, right, that physical yep. human connection. I think yeah. we definitely were exposed and realized that during COVID. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I just remembered all the stats of, you know, 200% of suicide and depression went up in the middle of COVID yeah. because of that lack of community. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yep. that, that's that's a really good one out there. Um, and then And then write down your... You know, you're write down the thing that concerns you. Mm-hmm. Write down the things that you have as positives about yourself mm-hmm. around that, because everybody does. Mm-hmm. And then take it to be talked about. Mm-hmm. Find a group and talk. Yeah, I think one thing that always stood out to me is working with parents when they realize, like, I'm not the only one that struggles. Mm-hmm. I'm not the only one that's dealing with this. And it's the same thing with the youth worker. It's the same thing with the youth. It's like, yep. you're not the only one dealing with these struggles. You just have to... Be brave enough. I know Eric, our executive director, myself, like we always have a saying, it's like you have to pick up that 100-pound phone, right? In the moment of need <laughs> and trial, like your yep. phone, which is only a couple ounces, you know, feels yep. like 100 pounds because like, no, nah, I don't want to call him. I don't yeah. want to do this. But, you know, let me say something about yeah. the whole process. In restorative justice, there have not been a lot of studies done, okay. but the studies that have been done suggest that people who were harmed... Mm-hmm get relief and a sense of um, being able to move on with their lives after they've been, after they've Mm -hmm. been hurt. And so um, particularly because in the United States, our system of so-called justice puts the state, um, an an entity that has no face, right? It's not Mm -hmm. human. It's made up of government, puts the state and lawyers and judges and all that up against the person mm. who has done the harm. And so the people who were actually harmed the most closely or feel the closest connection don't have satisfaction because they don't get their questions answered. Why did this happen? Why did you choose my daughter? Why did you target da-da-da-da-da? Yeah. What happened that night when you lost control of your car? What was going on with you? Mm-hmm. And so there statistics are as high as 75-80% of those who might be called victims or survivors or I would say the people harmed, that those people feel much more satisfaction once they talk about it. Mm. Yeah, no, that's really good. Yeah, because yeah. when you're thinking, as you said, right, it's it's a human versus a non-human, right? Yes. That there's You don't get that connection. You don't really understand mm-hmm. and draw close to each other and figure that all out from each other and i think it's key right bringing it together right when i like to describe it you know the whole restorative justice process especially restorative conferencing where you bring mm-hmm. everyone together mm-hmm. is you're able to see the ripple effects of your decisions yes and how it affects not just yourself but the other person their families their loved ones and also how it affects your family and your loved ones and um the harm that's done to them when you didn't even think it was you just think yep. it was an outside party that yeah Again, especially in our current judicial system, once it happens, it becomes a faceless entity. So you don't even really get to right. see the true effects that right. you've done and the harm you've caused. So it creates that separation. 
And you know, in a school setting, which is somewhere that Justice for Youth often shows up, those restorative conferences are so powerful because the stakeholders don't just include the parents, the family members, and so on. They also include the teachers, the staff, the administrators, and they are people too. And it's surprising how, to me, at least in Pomona, how tender and open to this work um, those in our school district are mm. to to switching within a restorative co- uh, conference to talking about their own feelings mm. and not just um, sitting outside and representing the official the official school like yeah. being being an Faceless. institution rather yeah. than a person yeah, yeah. And I think you kind of hinted on it. I think something that's really key within restorative justice is I statements, right? Yes. Stating how I feel, mm-hmm. how this decision affected me versus always pointing, right? It's very easy yeah. to start pointing and blaming and mm-hmm. and accusing stuff versus saying like, you know, yeah, like Nora made this decision and because she did, this is how Paul feels. I, I, don't, I don't feel comfortable. I mm-hmm. don't feel anxious and stuff like that. And now you, you, you get to put, Again, that face, that human-to-human connection yes. to these emotions and these these feelings and these values. And the great thing about taking that just one step further is the circle itself. Mm-hmm. So many of these traditions, restorative justice itself, come from indigenous traditions. Indig- indig- uh, excuse me, mm-hmm. indigenous people mm-hmm. who have learned that one of the great ways to show respect is for everyone to sit in a circle where there is no head of the circle, head of the table, foot of the table, that kind of thing. And one person talks at a time. We use a talking piece to indicate who that is. And they get the floor for as long as they want and need to go on. Um, And sometimes that's annoying to people who have grown up with the privilege of interrupting and, you know, talking over others. But the reality is that there are a lot of people who are basically unheard and unseen in our society who would benefit from restorative justice because they'd be heard and seen. And then those who have privilege and who talk all the time would benefit, whether they feel as though it's comfortable or not, but would benefit from taking their share of the space. It's step up, step back, right? So stepping back so somebody else can share. Yeah, that's really good. And, um, I think the next thing is, all right, so people are hearing. They, they're loving this concept mm-hmm. of restorative justice. They want to implement it in their community, in their family, um, within their organization. Mm-hmm. How, would they, how would they go about that? Would you be the person <laughs> they reach out to, um, get connected? I'm an easy person to reach out to and get connected, but let me talk a little bit about what's going on in the city of Pomona. Yeah, We are officially legally a compassionate city. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the first move that happened about, what, five years ago, maybe? Yeah. And that was about the time that I was getting really active within the community in restorative practices. And what became really clear was that there were a bunch of us from all different organizations, churches, nonprofits, businesses, um, civic leadership, who were really in school leadership really, really intrigued by restorative justice Mm -hmm. and using restorative circles and restorative conferencing. And so we just came together, formed a restorative practices collaborative. Today, we're writing our first collaborative grant Mm -hmm. to try and get some funding to start. And what we'd start is 
training people, um, training them in small groups. We've got a six-session six training for listening circles, mm-hmm. and it's two hours for the training. has to happen in a group, has to happen together. But it's something I've been kind of working on and fine-tuning since getting here a year and a half ago, yeah. and it's amazing how well it works um, because it's a combination of all the principles and values, kind of the head stuff about restorative justice, but then tying it into the experiences of being in a circle, then leading a circle, then preparing for the circle, then doing the prep work before and the after work after. And it's astounding to me how readily people take to it but they've got to keep practicing. So to me, it's like, yeah, if you're interested, come on and let's see what we can do. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So reach out to Justice for Youth and we'll get you connected to Nora. Yes. Yeah. RJK at juforwide.org. Yeah. RJK. RJK. No. RJCARE. Yes. At ju for the number four. The number four Y. Dot org. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if you don't send emails, we have our social media, Instagram, yep. TikTok, yep. Facebook, Snapchat, mm-hmm. Twitter even. So reach out. We could still get you connected to Nora um, and share and let her kind of walk you through the steps of mm-hmm. the first thing, which is listening circles. And that's getting through that whole process in the beginning of RJ. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, we're looking to start training with some Cal Poly Pomona students and faculty. Okay. Um, we're, we're hoping to start training um, in a faith tradition of people of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many ways that you can use this, mm-hmm. so many ways you can use this whole way of being. And I'll tell you, it changes the person who practices. Um, mm-hmm. I was a more, uh, let's say, highly dramatic, flammable human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not nearly as much anymore. Okay. Just doing this and seeing how people respond. Um, it's very humbling and very satisfying. Okay. And, yeah. and is Justice for Youth a certified location for restorative practices and restorative justice? Very soon. Okay. Very soon we will be certified. Yeah. Awesome. So, you know, down the road we will be able to provide certification yes. and support in those areas. Yes. Which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess it, any last takeaways you might have for youth workers or um, youth or parents, you know, about restorative practices and restorative justice? Yeah. Go online to YouTube and just Google or just search restorative justice or restorative circle and see what you see what you can see. Um, there are either that or look at Longmont, Colorado, and their webpage and how they've used restorative justice throughout their city. Their police chief, actually, former police chief, started it. Mm-hmm. And the crime there has dropped 80%. Um, mm-hmm. They have like many dozens of practitioners. And so I would like Pomona to be the California version, version of-, of that bigger because california is bigger and better that's right so. don't forget about that no. right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome yeah, thanks no problem thank you so much for joining us today thank nora you. Um, yep. for our parents our youth workers and students out there hearing this mm-hmm. again if you're interested in restorative justice and reach out to us and we'll get you connected to nora we'll share more information um because we as an organization see this is vital to our community and we'll be leading for change 
So we, we just thank you so much for tuning in this time and listening to us. And we'll see you n- next time on the Life in the Urban City podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.